My Favorite Theorem, a math podcast. We need a better tagline, but I'm not going to come up with one today. I'm Kevin Knudsen, professor of mathematics at the University of Florida. Here is your other host. Hi, I'm Evelyn Lamb, a freelance math and science writer in Salt Lake City. And I do, I think that our guests might be able to help us with that tagline. But they, we'll, we'll get to that in a moment because I yeah. have to share with you a big kitchen win I had recently. Okay. Which is that I successfully worked with phyllo dough. It was oh. extremely exciting. Okay. I made these little, um, these little pocket thing, mm -hmm, your pie mm -hmm. pocket things that, with a potato and olive filling. It was so good. And the phyllo dough didn't make me want to tear out my hair. It was just like best day ever. Did, did you make it from scratch? No, I mean, okay. I, I bought frozen phyllo Okay. Dough, all right. Okay. 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 Yeah. 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 yeah you're not, you're, not, not at that level. <laughs> I've never worked with that stuff. Although my son and I made, uh, made gyoza for uh, last month, which uh, again, nice. you know, that that's a lot of work, too, because you start folding up these dumplings and, you know, and, and, and they're they were fantastic. It's much better. So, uh, yeah, enough. Now I'm getting hungry. Uh, OK, yeah. <laughs> it's mid afternoon. It's not time for for supper yet. So uh, today we, we have we have a two for today. This is this is going to be great, great fun. Uh, it's like it's like a battle royale going here. This will be so much fun. So today we are joined by uh, Pamela Harris and Eris Winger. And uh, why don't you guys introduce yourself? Let's uh, let's start with Pamela. Hi, everyone. I like how we're on Zoom, and so I get to, like, wave, but there's mm -hmm. really only to the people on the call. So for yeah. those listening, <laughs> imagine that I waved at you. Um, so I am super excited to be here with you all today. I'm an associate professor of mathematics at Williams College, and I have gotten the pleasure to work with Dr. Aris Winger on a variety of projects, but I'll let him introduce himself to you. Mm -hmm. Hey everybody, I'm Eris Winger. Um, I'm assistant professor at Georgia Gwinnett College. Been here uh, for a few years now. And yeah, no, we, uh, Pamela and I have been all over the place together. I've been, I've been the honored one uh, to just be um, her sidekick in a lot of things. <laughs> so. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, we're, we're very excited to have you here. I, so you've worked on several things together. The reason that I thought it would be great to have you on is that one of the things is a podcast called Mathematically Uncensored. Yes. And um, it's a, a really nice podcast, and I think it has a fantastic um, tagline. I was I was telling Eris earlier that it just made me very jealous that we've we've never quite uh, gotten like the snappy tagline. So tell us what your podcast ta t podcast tagline is. And a little bit about the podcast. Maybe I can do the tagline? Go ahead. So, yes. so our tagline is where our talk is real and complex, but never discreet. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, that's right. That is a tagline. No, and it, it, yeah, it's, it's a good one. So, and sometimes I have to come back to it time and again to remember so that um, we live up to that during the podcast. We're taping the podcast later today, actually. And so it should be out on Wednesday. Um, so yeah, it's um, the show. The show is about really creating a space for people of color in the mathematical sciences and in mathematics in general. I think, and so one of the ways, I, for, I think, for us, that the only way that can happen is we have to start having hard conversations, right? And so a realization that comfort and staying, you know, on the surface level of our discussions doesn't allow for us to have the true visibility that you know all people in mathematics should have. 
And so for too long, we've been talking surface level and say, oh, did we, we have diversity issues. Oh, we should work harder on um, inclusion. No, actually, people are suffering. No, yes. actually, you know, here's our opinion and stop talking about us, start talking to us, right? So it, mm. it really is a space where we're just like, you know what, screw it. Let us say what we think needs to be said. Listen to us. Listen to people who look like us. And yeah, and so, and so, yeah, it, it's, and it's hard. It's hard to do the podcast sometimes because, you know, when you go deeper and to start to talk about harder topics, then there are risks that come with that. Pamela and I, week after week, say, oh, I don't know if I really should have said that. But, you know, it's what needs to be said because we're not doing it just for us. We're doing it to model what, ha what needs to happen from everybody in this discipline to really say the things that need to be said. Have, have you gotten negative feedback? I hope not, but I... Yeah, that's a good question. So, I mean, I think that the emails we've gotten are, have been great and supportive. Um, but I, I think, so for me, I'm, I'm expecting no one to say, I'm expecting the usual game as it is, right? That people aren't going to say anything. Mm -hmm. But of course, there's going to be backlash when you start saying things that go against white privilege and go against the current power structures that, you know, I'm expecting to be fired this year, right? So, I mean, that's, like, just, that, yeah, 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 that's, yeah, those are the yeah. conversations that we have constantly yeah. that we're having on the podcast are things that Eris and I are having conversations about privately. Mm -hmm. And yeah. so part of what's been really eye-opening for me in terms of doing a podcast is that I forget people are listening. There's times Eris and I are having just a conversation and I forget we're recording. And yeah. I say things that... I normally would censor yeah. if I were in a mixed crowd, if I were in a department meeting, if I were at a committee meeting for, you know, X organization. And I think it's not so much that we would receive an email that says, hey, you shouldn't have said X, Y, and Z, is that we are actually getting targeted. For example, I was just at visiting, virtually visiting Purdue University, giving a talk about a book that Eris and I wrote, Supporting Students of Color, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, accidentally the link got shared to the wrong people, and all of a sudden I'm getting Zoom bombed at a conversation. That's targeted, mm. Right. So those are the kinds of things that we are experiencing as people of color mm -hmm. and that we have to have conversations about how are we ensuring that this isn't the experience when you bring a black or brown mathematician to talk virtually at your colloquia. Yeah. And and if we're not talking about that, then no one is talking about that because yeah. people are trying to hide their dirty laundry. Purdue mm -hmm. University is not putting out an email to their alumni saying, by the way, we invited Pamela Harris to show up and talk about how we best support students of color. And then we got Zoom bomb and somebody was writing the N word and saying FBLM, right? Right. Like, that's not happening. Yes. Wait, they, they didn't say anything about it? Well, they're actively doing things about it, but you know yes. they're not putting out the message. Right, right. And so then they get sanitized. Right. And so too yeah. much. Yeah. Then it gets sanitized. Right. So a traumatic attack gets sanitized to be something else when, in fact, you know, and there, there are two things about the podcast. Right. That, we, that, that Pamela and I, you know, and the Center for Minorities and Mathematical Sciences, you know, really are trying to work with is making sure that we call out these things, but then not to center it. Right. Because the, the podcast itself is supposed to be about our experiences. But in a lot of ways, there's a significant part of our experiences that is tied to having to continuously fight against this type of uh, oppression against us. 
Yeah. And I, th I think it's, it's really important to have that. And it's so important that it decenters. I, I think I was listening to an episode recently, you know, where you talked about the white gaze and what you, you know, what you have to, to deal with all the time in trying to present things to a majority white audience. Um, yes. And I think it's really important for us white people to listen to this and realize that not everything is about and for us. And yes. that is, you know, I, I mean, there's so many things in life where this is true, movies, TV shows, books and stuff. And um, yeah, yeah. I, I think it's great that, that your voices are there and having these conversations. And I think that people should listen to your podcast. No, I appreciate that. Yeah, because it, it requires a deep interrogation, a self-interrogation by white people mm -hmm. to really deal with the feelings. Let me just step back and give the usual disclaimer. Everybody's nice. Everybody's good. Nobody's mean. Nobody's a bad person. <laughs> Let me just say all that to get that out of the way, right? But what we're talking about is that when I say something on the show, when Palmel says something on the show, and you get this feeling like, whoa, that, that doesn't feel good to me, mm. then you need to take some time and figure out why it That's is right. mm -hmm. that, you're, that you're feeling this way. And it's tied to your privilege, something that you need to interrogate, and will, which will make you a better person and for everybody. Yeah. 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 I, I, I don't know. I can't wrap my head around people like Zoom bombing you. It is, it's, this is not a, yes. not, nothing that would ever come to my mind. You know what? I'm going to yes. go Zoom bomb this person. I, I just. Yes. Well, I mean, it's, it seems like a terror. Yeah. Just a bad way to spend your time in yeah. general, but not everyone has yeah. the same time priorities. And well, no, um, and so that's good. So, and I yeah. think that's a it's a great question. It, let Let me just say that it, that's how deep and pervasive it is mm -hmm. within people, right? That people grow up and have this experience of being raised by other people who have ingrained within them that it is fundamentally and in some sense it it just burns their soul to have somebody who does not look like them, have someone who is lesser than them, take the center stage, be deemed the expert. And so again, it is, I, it, I'm, I'm not calling these people bad, but there is something within some of us that says, and it's called white supremacy, by the way, yes. that, that we all have, that we all have to fight, that is so ingrained in some people that they feel compelled to do it, right? And so this, and so they, again, no one's gonna fix that for them, and the person who did this to Pamela has it in spades, right? And so um, when we say that, so I think too often we make it an intellectual exercise, right? We say that it just makes no sense, mm -hmm. right? It doesn't make any sense because there are white supremacy makes absolutely no sense, but it is a thing, sure. right? And it's there and that's what it is, right? So I've been working a lot on calling, naming things so that we don't get confused because as long as we don't name it then it just gets to be out there like oh i don't understand we understand this exactly it's called white supremacy and we need to fight it in our discipline and across the board and it doesn't always just show its face via zoom bombing with the n-word right. in the chat mm -hmm. right yeah. it shows up with who you invite to your podcast it shows up yes. with who's winning yes. awards from our big national organizations mm -hmm. it shows up with who gets tenure who even lands into a tenure track position, yeah. who even gets to go into graduate school, who actually majors as a mathematician, who actually goes to college, mm -hmm. who actually graduates high school, yes. who yes. actually gets told that they're a mathematician, right? Yes. So this, this uh, it's showing its ugly head in very visual ways that we all feel 
a huge sense of, oh no, this is terrible. I'm sorry this happened to you. But the truth is that white supremacy is in everything within the mathematical sciences. And so, you know, we got to pull it at its root, my friends. At its root! (laughs) Yes. So this was just one way in which it, you know, showed itself. But I I want to make it clear that it is pervasive. Sure. Yeah. Right. So what I love about hosting this podcast is that we get to know both people and their math and their relationship to their math. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to pivot a little bit now, yeah. maybe yeah. pivot a yeah. lot now, and yeah. say, okay, what are your favorite theorems? And yeah, I, I don't know who wants to go first, but yeah, what's your favorite theorem? Yeah. What's your up? I'll do it. Okay, okay, I'll go okay. first. Great. I always okay. like hearing Eris talk. So I'm just like, Eris, go, right? But I'm like, nah, I'm going to take yeah, a lead go. today. Yeah. All right. So I, I wanted to tell you about this theorem called Seckendorf's theorem. Mm. So I don't know if you know about it. I do not. Yep. Uh, so Seckendorf's theorem. And it goes like this. So start with a, the Fibonacci numbers without the repeated one. So one, two, and then start adding the previous two. So three, five, eight, and so on. All right. So if you start with that sequence, his theorem says the following. If you give me any positive integer n, I can write it uniquely as a sum of non-consecutive Fibonacci numbers. Mm-hmm. Mm, oh, wow. So uniquely. Uniquely? Yes. And this what? is why you need to get rid of the 1-1 one, one yeah, at yeah, the yeah. end. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, yeah. otherwise you have a choice. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah. So... It's, it's hard to do off the top of my head because I'm not someone who, like, holds numbers. But, like, say, for example, we wanted to do um, 20. Maybe we wanted to write the number 20 as a sum of Fibonacci numbers that are not consecutive. So what would you do? You would find the largest Fibonacci number that fits inside of 20. Yeah. So in this case, it would be 13. 13. Yeah. 13 fits in there. Okay, mm-hmm. so we subtract 13. We're left with 7. Uh, Repeat the pattern. Two. Okay. 5 and right. 2. They're right. non-consecutive. Okay. Yeah. Because wow. 3 is in between them and mm-hmm. 8 is in between the others. And so you can do this uniquely. And so this is using what's known as the greedy algorithm because you just do that process that I just mm-hmm. said. And it terminates because you started with a finite number. Sure. Yeah. And yeah. so the the proof, of course, there's the... You know, you, can you do it, but then can you do it uniquely? So the thing that you would assume there is assume that you have two different ways of writing it, each of which uses non-consecutive. And then you would argue that one of them, that they end up being exactly the same thing. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that in fact, yeah, they yeah. use the same number of Fibonacci numbers and that those numbers are actually the exact same thing. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm trying to figure out and I don't, I also am not super great at working with numbers in my head just on the fly. Um but yeah, I've tried to figure out like what would have gone wrong if I had picked eight instead of 13 to start with or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm. And I feel like that, that will help me understand. But I, I probably need to go sit quietly by myself and think about it because, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, yeah. It's, it's a little subtle. Spot. It's a yeah. little, yeah, it's a little subtle. And it might be that you don't get big enough. You end up having to repeat something. Thing. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, I feel like there's not enough left below eight to get me there. Yes. With, without yes, yes, being yes. consecutive. Yeah. Right. Right. Because you got to get 12. Wait, yeah. what, what number did you yeah. get? Yes. Yes. Yeah. 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 Well, but it makes yeah, sense, I right? I mean, is... I guess, you know, if you pick the one, the, the, the largest one less than your number, then the, the, there's it, it's more than halfway there. 
That's sort of the point, yeah. right? So yeah. it's it's yeah, gonna yeah, yeah. so then then you're gonna it, it, so that's how you prove it terminates. But also the 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 non uniqueness should that's the the non uniqueness seems like the hard yes. part to me somehow. But also the yeah. non consecutive. Wait a minute, I don't know which is. Okay. This is a good well, theorem. No, it sounds hard. Period. Yeah, right? no, I, I, I like this theorem. This is good. What what yeah. what what, yeah. what, what uh, attracts you about this theorem? What 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 gets you there? So I, in part of my dissertation, I found a new place that the Fibonacci number showed up. And so mm-hmm. once you find Fibonacci numbers somewhere new, I was like, what else is known about these yes. beautiful mm-hmm. numbers? Mm-hmm. And so this was one of those results that I found, you know, just kind of looking at the literature. And then I later on started doing some research, generalizing this theorem. Mm-hmm. So meaning in what other ways could you create a sequence of numbers that allows you to uniquely write any positive integer mm-hmm. in this kind of flavor, right? That you yeah, don't yeah. use things consecutively and consecutively really in quotes because you can define that differently. Um, and so it led me to new avenues of research that then I got to do, uh, it was like the first few research projects with some of my undergraduate students at the military academy. Mm-hmm. And then I learned, you know, through them that they, they looked him up and he actually came up with this theorem while he was a prisoner of war. Mm. Oh, this is wow. when Seckendorf, you know, worked on this theorem. And to me, this was really surprising that you know my students found this out and then i was like see mathematics you could just take it anywhere like this poor man was a prisoner of war and he's proving a theorem that in his insane. cell well yeah. yeah yeah you know jean Larey figured out spectral sequences in a german pow camp i mean this is i did not know wow. that yeah wow yeah, wow. yeah. um so yeah i mean anything well, to pass the time what else, <laughs> right. what else are you gonna listen do? Yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah i mean messian composed uh you know the quartet for the end of time the you know i was about to say string quartet but it's a quartet for like a, a slightly different instrumentation like mm-hmm. in a concentration camp or, or a work camp I, i'm not yeah mm-hmm. but yeah i'm always amazed at people who who can do that kind of creative work in those environments because i feel like you know i've been stuck in my house because of a pandemic and i'm like falling apart and like my house is very comfortable i have a comfortable life right. and like right. i am not not as resilient as people who are doing this <laughs> but yeah that is such a cool theorem i'm okay. so glad that you said that and i'm trying to think i'm i tried to, like lucas numbers are, are another yeah. number sequence yes. that are kind of built this way and so is there anything that you can tell us about the the sequences that you were looking at? Like, I, I don't know. Does this work for Lucas numbers? I don't know if you looked at that specifically, or did you you look at like ways to build sequences that would do this? Yeah. So we we started from the construction point of view. So mm-hmm. rather than give me a sequence and then tell me how you can uniquely decompose a number into a sum of elements in that sequence, we worked backwards. So one of the research projects that we started with is what we called, uh, well, there's a few of them, but one, it was a Generacci sequence. And so what we would do is instead of thinking of the numbers themselves, imagine that you have buckets, an infinite number of buckets, you know, starting at the first bucket all the way to infinity. And you get to put numbers into the sequence in the following way. So you input the number one to begin with because you need a number to start the sequence. And since you want to write all positive integers, well, you got to start with one somewhere. So you stick the number one in the first bucket. And then you set up some system of rules 
for which buckets you can use to pull numbers from that then you mm. add together to create new numbers. Mm -hmm. Well, you only have one bucket and you only put the number one in it. So then you move to the next bucket. Well, okay, you want to build the number two and you only have the number one. And as soon as you pull it from the bucket, you don't have any other numbers to use. So let's stick the number two in the second bucket. Mm -hmm. Oh, well now I could maybe in my rule, grab a number from two buckets and add them together to get the next number. Mm -hmm. Oh, that starts looking familiar. The third <laughs> bucket will have not the number three because you were able to build it. Mm -hmm. So what next number could you grab? Well, maybe you can stick in the four in there. And mm -hmm. so by thinking of buckets, the numbers that you can fill the buckets with that you couldn't create from grabbing numbers out of previous buckets under mm -hmm. certain mm -hmm. rules, mm -hmm. you now start constructing a sequence. And provided that you very meticulously set up the rules under which you can grab numbers out of the buckets to add together to build new numbers, then you don't need to add that number into the buckets because you've already built it. So, yeah. I'm, so, so kind of like, and what, what rules you have about the buckets will determine then what goes in the buckets. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So okay. you might say, okay, maybe our buckets can contain three numbers. And you're not allowed to take numbers out of consecutive buckets or neighboring mm -hmm. buckets, or you must skip five buckets in between. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what must go into the buckets to guarantee that you can use, that you can create every single number and you can do so only uniquely. Mm -hmm. And so these are these like kind of bin decompositions of numbers, yeah. Yeah, but you yeah, are yeah. working oh. backwards. You're like, you start with all the numbers and then you decide how you can place them in the buckets and how you can pull them from the buckets to add together. So I'm being vague on purpose because <laughs> yeah. it depends on the rules, right? Like you can, and actually it's a, it's quite an open area of research that, you know, mm -hmm. how do you build these sequences? You set up some, some capacity to your buckets, some rules from where you can pull to add together. Um, and the nice thing is that it's very accessible and then it leads to really beautiful generalizations of these kinds of results like that of Seckendorf. Mm -hmm. yeah. This is very cool. Wow, so that's cool. Fantastic. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So, yeah. Eris, I feel like the gauntlet has been yeah. thrown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, mine is simple. Okay. <laughs> this is never competition. Yeah, no. So, yeah, I guess mine is influenced. I've been thinking about a bunch of different theorems, but I keep coming back to the same one, which I think is influenced by my identity as a teacher, like first and foremost, when mm -hmm. I think about the fundamental theorem of calculus. Yeah, yeah, like sure. I just yeah. have to just keep coming back to that one. And I don't know how many people have used this one with you on this podcast before, but like it, for me, it hits so many of the check marks of my identity in terms of, you know, mm -hmm. thinking about myself as a mathematician and a teacher in the sense that, you know, for a lot of students who get to calculus, it's one of the first major, major theorems that will show up uh, in their faces that we actually call out and say, this is a theorem and we call it fundamental, right? We, we don't often bring up the fundamental theorem of algebra in college algebra, right? Mm -hmm. Or mm -hmm. in other places or the fundamental theorem of arithmetic, right? But so it's one of these first fundamental theorems. And so, and it also like helps to tell the story of a course, right? And so that really hits the teacher part of me where, you know, um, too often people, in the calculus sequence, you know, spend all this time talking about derivatives and all of a sudden we just switch to antiderivatives and we don't really say why. You'll figure out in the next couple of sections and then we start adding up rectangles and we don't say why <laughs> and then like, yeah, yeah. And so um, it really is at least the way that the 
the order of, of calculus is gone in, in terms of how to teach it, in my experience, it really is this culmination like, oh, this is why we've been doing this. And this is the genius of relating two things, right? And mm -hmm. so really, so sometimes I've gone in and I've talked about, like I put up a sine curve and a cosine curve. And we talked about how one of them measures the area under the curve. And then I'll pretend to bump my head and get amnesia. And then I'll come <laughs> in and I'll say, oh, look, uh, looks like we've been talking about derivatives, right? And they're like, wait, what do you mean you're talking about derivatives? Like, this is the derivative of this one. And they'll go, oh, what? <laughs> we were measuring the area under the curve. I was like, well, we're also measuring the derivative, right? Mm -hmm. This is the derivative, but this is measuring the area. And it's like, oh, right? And so it's just one of these aha moments um, where, you know, if people have been paying attention, it's like, oh, that's actually pretty cool, right? And then also, you know, in terms of like the subject itself in relationship to high school, just really thinking about, um, you know, because I get a lot of students who know all the rules, right? Mm -hmm. And they, they, they look at the uh, antiderivative sign or the integral sign and say, that's the integral. It's like, well, you know, that's an antiderivative, right? right? And so that yeah, the antiderivative and integral. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that the antiderivative and the integral are actually different. Mm -hmm. Right. And so just having that conversation. And it also is a, is a place to talk about, you know, the history of the subject and and stuff like this. So, yeah, I love yeah. it. And at least for me, I feel like it's a slow burn kind of theorem. The first time you see it, you're like, OK, it's called the fundamental theorem of calculus. I guess some people think it's really important. Right. And then maybe so that might be like your calculus one class. Um, and then you see it again, maybe in like an introductory real analysis class, and you're like, oh, there's more here. And then you teach calculus, right. and you're like, yes. Oh, oh. right. Yeah. <laughs> and like, yes, your right, brain right. explodes, and you're like, this yeah. is so cool. And then your students yes. are where you were several steps ago, yes. and they're like, okay, I guess right. it's all right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. No, yeah. I, I, if I get the success rate of like, I've had three or four people go, whoa, right? And mm -hmm. it's like, okay. Yeah. You're with me, right? And so yeah, this is out of hundreds get, of people. Yeah, right? if you can even get a few people to do that yeah. the first time they see it. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's been fulfilling for sure. And yeah. so, and so, and then the proof itself, you know, then it's also great because then it culminates all of the theorems that you've been talking about beforehand. And since, like, you, depending upon the proof, of course, but like, there's the intermediate value theorem, there's the um, mean value theorem for integrals. There's there's unique continuity at least mm -hmm. in this version of it, right? In order for it to work, so um, yeah, it's great. Do, do you, yeah. So so you know, when you teach calculus, there's always there's two parts to the fundamental theorem, and yeah. and, and and so I like the one where the the derivative of the integral is is the function back, right? Like that's mm. like that that's mm. the fun like for the mathematician in me. I'm like this is the fun yeah. part. Your students yeah. never remember that, right? They always yes, remember yes, the yes. other one. It's like well, we find we find uh, error, we, we evaluate definite integrals by finding the yeah. derivative. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah uh, so, well, no, and it's because I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no. Well, I was going to ask. You know, so so we, if you had to pick one of the two, which one's your favorite? Yeah. Well, yeah. no. I mean, it part of it is because at least the way that I've taught it, we're coming out of the mire of Riemann sums. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, like, people have suffered through doing <laughs> rectangles right. so much, and then I just get to say, oh. You don't have to do this anymore because, mm -hmm. I mean, I've had a few students go, you know, now that we do, like I always use the antiderivative of x squared on 0 to 10, right? Or the area under the curve of x squared from 0 to 10. And like sometimes I'll say, oh, that's 1,000 over 3, right? And then they'll be mm -hmm. like, well, how did you, wait, what? 
how did yeah. you get that so quickly? And I'll be like, well, you'll see, right? And this is the type of thing. <laughs> but then like at the end, when I'll say, okay, and then we do another one again, and then I show how to apply the theorem, and the people say, well, why didn't you do, why didn't you just say that, right? Um, and then we have a great conversation there, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. about um, how this isn't about the answer, that this is about a process and understanding the impact of mathematical ideas, that, that, that the theorem, as with all theorems, but this one being my favorite, is an expression of deep human intellect, mm -hmm. right? And that, yeah, if we if we reframe what theorems are, we get a chance to rehumanize, you know, mathematics. And so I think that too often in our math classes, in our math discourse, we remove the theorems from the humanity of the people who created them. And so people get deified, you know, like mm -hmm. Newton and Leibniz, mm -hmm. but you know, these are the same people who have to sit down and, and work hard at it and figure it out. Mm -hmm. No, it's 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 certainly a classic. But you're it, it is surprising how little it has come up on our podcast. It was the very first mm. episode. And then, oh, okay. Yeah, Amy <laughs> Amy Wilkinson shows it, and then okay. this will be episode sixty something. And oh, okay. So, okay. Wow. Yeah. 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 So, so uh, yeah, we've we've talked we've mentioned it in yeah. some other episodes, but yes. but yeah, it isn't. I mean, they're just the the. I love this podcast. Obviously, I keep doing it. Um and. There are just so many types of theorems. And I love that you two kind of picked different types. Mm -hmm. You know, yours, Eris, is like, um, you know, one of these like classics. Everyone yeah. who gets to a certain point in math has seen it, hopefully has appreciated it also. And Pamela, you picked one that like we've, none of us have ever heard of and made us say, whoa, that's so cool. Yeah. And like people just have so many relationships with theorems and that's that's what this podcast is really about is actually it's not about theorems it's about human mm. relationships with theorems yes. and what makes humans enjoy these theorems and yes. so you picked like two different ways that we enjoy theorems and i just love that yeah. um so yeah yeah that, that is that is what we're about here Applause. actually i mean i mean yeah the, the theorem yeah, yeah yeah everybody but it, i actually what i like most about our podcast so let, let's toot our own horn here yeah. <laughs> we, we're, we're trying to humanize mathematics. I think everybody has this idea that mathematicians are, you know, a very uh, monolithic bunch of weird people who, who just, um, well, in movies, we're always portrayed as either being insane or, yeah. or just completely, you know, antisocial. And I mean, some truth in every stereotype, I suppose. But, um, but we are people and we we love this thing we think it's so cool and and and, yeah. and sharing that with everyone is really really what's so much fun um yeah so. and i think also for me there's it that, that the theorem itself and what it reveals touches something with inside of us mm -hmm. right that, that there's something about it right that it's the whoa part that is that is indescribable right and that I think really touches to our humanity. There's something of the eureka moment where you're just like, oh, I understand this now, mm -hmm. or this this connection is amazing. Right. Yeah, it's indescribable. So, so we we all agree these things are beautiful. So here's here's a question: How how where do people lose this? Mm. Now, they lose it in. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I mean, I have a theory. You know, because we've all had this experience, right? You're at a cocktail party. Yeah. Someone says, oh, you find out they find out you're a mathematician. I'm like, ugh, record scratch. I hate math. Yes. Okay. Yes, 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 yes. When? But I don't I think mean, they hate math. No, though, they don't. Kevin. Nobody hates math. Nobody hates no. math when they're a kid. That's exactly right. So, so, so I think when they say that, they mean that the algebra caused them trouble. When he started, when X's started showing up, 
that. I don't yeah. even think that's it. No. Okay. No. All right. Good. Good. Enlighten me because I, I, I want an answer to this that I, I can't. I don't. Yeah. I don't think it's that people hate math or mm-hmm. that they hate that the alphabet showed up all of a sudden in math. Mm-hmm. It's that they hate how people have made them feel oh. when they've well, struggled at math. Yes. Right. This is not. This is not math is an inanimate object. Like math is not going out there and like punching people in the face. Mm-hmm. Mm. It's the way that people react to other people's math. Mm-hmm. Right? The second yes. that you don't use the language in the way that somebody expects you yes. to use it mm-hmm. and you're trying to mm-hmm. communicate properly and somebody says, that's not how you say it. It's not foiling. It's called distributing. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, 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 but we, yeah, but sure. you knew what I meant when I said foil the binomial. Of course I did. Right? right. Like oh, yeah. foiling <laughs> this gives you the middle term, blah, blah. Right? Yeah. But, but so it's about, it's a, again, about human interactions. Mm. And if you make someone feel dumb, they'll never like what it is that they're trying to learn. Now you meant to that. And they will conflate the two, which yes. is what always yes. happens. That's exactly they will, it. They will replace the experience with the subject itself. When in fact they're talking about the experience, yeah. So yeah, we've been working a lot about about this in the last few years, Pamela and I and Dr. Michael Young, about you know when people say they hate mathematics, they're really talking about their mathematical experience, right? So my immediate response to your question is just bad teaching. Let's just call it yeah. what it is, mm-hmm. right? I don't want to get on my podcast too early. We're recording. We're recording <laughs> in a bit, yeah. But like, yeah, but no, yeah, yeah, but yeah, we're talking about people. And I, I say this as a loving critique of the greatest discipline in the history of people. That's mm-hmm. I truly believe that. But I believe that the way we teach it and the cultural norms we take with it um, yes. devalues people. And so, mm-hmm. when, so I, wanna, I want every person who's listening to this now to then the next time they hear somebody say they hate it, look at them as an innocent person who had a bad mathematical experience. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then, because I think I see too often amongst my people in the community who say they hate having these conversations with people who say they hate it. And I think we need to return innocence back to that person mm-hmm. yeah. and say that they, are, this is not a person who hates you or even hates the subject. This is a hurt person. Mm-hmm. Yes. This is a person yeah. who's been damaged in, yes. in our subject. And by the way, I go much farther that it's our responsibility to try and help repair that because this person is going to have impact their cousin, their mm-hmm. child, their relative by bringing this hate of the subject when in fact it doesn't have anything to do with the subject. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's about yeah. the traumatic experiences and actually yes. it's, I think mathematicians often have a bit of a persecution complex and think this is the only place where this, where people have this reaction. Um, but yes. I, one of my hobbies is singing and in particular singing with like large groups of untrained people who are just singing because we love singing and the yes. the baggage that people bring to singing is similar it, it's not yes. i'm not saying it's entirely the same but people have been made to feel like their voice isn't good enough yes. and yes. they have this trauma associated yes. with trying to go out and do this sometimes not yes. you know obviously a lot of people love to sing and we'll do it in public a lot of people yes. love to sing at home and are scared of doing it in public yes. because they're worried about some you know their fourth grade music teacher mm. told yes. them to yes. sing quieter mm. or yes whatever that's, right. that's right that's so, right now the connection yeah, it is happens similar all over yeah, yeah. the connection is similar because what, what are we saying we're saying that if you don't hit this right note then then it doesn't count as opposed to if you don't get the answer seven mm-hmm then we're not going to value you because the answer is seven, right? Because we have this obsession with the correct answer in mathematics, right? And not only that, but 
but also doing it fast, right? Yes. Yeah, when yeah, I have yeah. talked about this before, yes. mm-hmm. that, you know, maybe maybe in singing this is different. I'm not sure. I definitely can relate to the trauma of never singing out loud in public. Uh, but yeah. is there is there this same sentiment that you must get it perfect the first time mm. and pretend that it doesn't actually take you hours of training? Yes. I mean, it de- it comes up. There's definitely like va- people can feel more valued if they are quicker at picking things up mm-hmm. than mm-hmm. others. Although mm-hmm. I, you know, it's not the same. I there's no isomorphism between yeah. these two. To yeah. to I don't know, big, bring a little silly math lingo mm-hmm. in, but yeah. like. They're, they're definitely, there are a lot of similar, and I think about this a lot because two things I love in my life are math and singing with my friends and, you know, they, I just see these relationships, but yeah, yeah I, I could go on a whole rant and I, I want to not do that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, 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 I appreciate you but bringing up But I think it's a analogy. really interesting <laughs> correspondence. Yeah, Although, yeah, no, and then the final one is that, you know, really in the, in the music space, what is it that we really should be trying to do? Value everybody's voice. And in mathematics, we should be valuing everybody's contribution, mm-hmm. right? This is all we're saying. And what does the what the what does each discipline look like when we value people's voices, no matter where they are on the keys, right? Mm-hmm. And we value everyone's contribution to trying to solve a problem. Yeah, mm. yeah. And how can we help people, you know, grow in the way they want to? Yes. You, you know, you can you can mm-hmm. say like, oh, I like I am not as good a sight reader as I want to be. How can I get better? How can we help people grow in that way um, without feeling cut down? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's yeah. true for math, too. And yeah, that's so. Yeah, it's just everything is connected. Yes. <laughs> um, but oh. but yeah, I so you know we've been talking about you know, these human relationships we all have with math. Mm -hmm. And so another part of our podcast that we love is forcing you to to do make one more human connection Mm -hmm. between math and something else with the pairing. So what goes well, Pamela, with this theorem about uniquely writing the numbers in terms of the Fibonacci sequence? So I was trying to think about the my favorite food. Mm-hmm. And when it was like the the epitome of like perfection. And I came up with, okay, so if we're going to pair it with something to drink, mm-hmm. I was like, I want to think about happy moments because this feels like a happy theorem. Mm-hmm. And so I want to go with some champagne. Okay. 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 I was like, we're going to go fancy with it. Sure. But then yes. for food, I'm thinking about, oh, this is hilarious. So, I went to a conference in Colombia, in mm-hmm. Tairona. We visited Tairona, which is a beach uh, in Colombia. Mm-hmm. And on the side of the beach, I paid to have ceviche. Mm. Fresh okay. ceviche. Right. And I've never been happier eating <laughs> yeah. anything in my life. And so I imagined myself learning Seckendorf's theorem at the beach in Tairona, in Colombia, mm-hmm. with some champagne and the ceviche. Oh, man. Wow. That, that... Beat that, Eris. Beat no, that. No, I, 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 I can't. There's no way I can't. So wait, so I want to make sure I understand. So is this why you're reading the proof, or is this why you're like? This is like the, the gold standard. If I mm-hmm. were to put all the like uniqueness of like my favorite food, my favorite drink, and my favorite theorem, I would okay. put them mm-hmm. in a location, which is Tairona in Colombia, at the beach, 
eating ceviche, okay. sipping okay. on some champagne, okay. learning Seckendorf Serum. Is this the Pacific Coast or the Caribbean? You're asking questions I should know the answer to, and I believe it's the Caribbean. Okay, all right. <laughs> Nobody Google that. Nobody Google that. Okay. Nobody Google that. I have no idea where they took me in Colombia. Yeah. I just went. Sure. <laughs> yeah, that sounds so lovely. As I look out of my window where there is snow and mud from some half-melted <laughs> snow. Ditto. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Okay. No, I mean, yeah. So I, yeah, I, I think, I think for the fundamental theorem of calculus, yeah, I think it's just something that's just classic. Like you're just having a nice pizza mm -hmm. and a ginger ale, right? You're just okay. like sitting down and you're enjoying something that, you know, hopefully that everybody likes, right? And that mm -hmm. connects with everybody that everybody hopefully sees that they get to get that far. So, um, yeah, I mean, my daughter recently, I, I didn't realize this. She's nine. And like, um, we were talking, we visited my aunt in DC. My aunt raised me and, um, my, my daughter was much younger at that time, but then every time she thinks about going to visit, she thinks about the ginger ale that my aunt got her. Cause she doesn't have ginger ale. It was the only time she ever got ginger ale. Like, yes. <laughs> and then she was like, oh, my aunt, my aunt, I, I like your aunt, um, daddy. Cause you know, I had ginger ale there. And I was just like, oh, I used to have ginger ale more often. So that oh, made me think adorable. of the ginger ale. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> well, I, I can really relate to that feeling of like when you're a kid, something that is totally like normal yes. for someone else mm -hmm. isn't what's normal for your family yeah. and so you think it's a super special it's thing. amazing yes. right, right. Yeah. yeah i think i had this with like rice -roni or something at my aunt's house and my mom didn't have like didn't yes. use rice -roni and like my aunt and i was like whoa mom you should see if you can find rice -roni. <laughs> 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 it's like yeah they have rice -roni. rice -roni is the best <laughs> <laughs> Man, I haven't had that in years. I should go get Me some. Me either. Is, yeah, right. right, yeah. right. <laughs> That's how you know you made it. That's it. Right. <laughs> yep. You know what? I, I so you know I single mom and all that, and and I, I lived on Kraft macaroni and cheese when I was a kid. And you, yeah, would, yeah, you, yeah. you would think I don't like it anymore, but oh man. Listen, that thing is delicious. Let's so, I'm about to say it's still yeah. good. so good. Yeah. <laughs> they know what they're doing. Yeah. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Well, that's great. And I, I mean, I, pizza is my favorite food. As, as great as ceviche on the beach sounds, pizza, just when you come down to it, it's my favorite food. And so I love yes. that you paired the fundamental theorem of calculus with my favorite food. That's great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I, I'm curious, there must be a human who doesn't like pizza, but have you ever met one? Oh. I've never met no. one. I know people who yeah. don't like cheese. And cheese is not, I mean, to me, cheese is essential to the pizza experience, sure. but you definitely do a pizza without cheese. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can. So, yeah. 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 Okay. No, my wife also always says that for her, it's about the sauce. Mm. That, yeah, for her, it's dead. So I think that she might be a person who can get rid of the cheese if the mm -hmm. sauce is right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But the crust better be good, too. So. Of course, of yeah. course. Yeah, it's a full package here. That's right. That's right. That's right. I, but, okay, so you say that, but on the other hand, I would say that bad pizza is still really good. Sure. I mean, you can have pizza that you're like, I wish I didn't eat that. But yeah. I have very rarely in my life encountered a, a slice of pizza that was like, oh, I wish I, wish I had 
done something else other than eat that pizza. Well, it's got some pretty unbeatable combinations, right? Sure. Tomato yeah. sauce, cheese, and bread. Like, yeah, <laughs> kind of can't go wrong. Yeah. Right. <laughs> when I was in when I was in college, there was a place in town. It was called Krusty's Pizza, and I don't think it exists anymore. And it was decidedly awful, but we still got yeah. it because it was cheap. Yes. Right. Yes. So That's so right. we we would occasionally splurge on the good pizza, but but yes. you know, be, but we you could get a Krusty's pie for like five bucks. Absolutely. I, I don't yeah. want to tell you this. This is dating myself, but. Um, uh, yeah, absolutely. Always. All right. So we've got we've got theorems. We've got pairings. Uh, you've plugged your podcast pretty well, um, although you can talk about it more if you'd like. Any anything else that either of you want to uh, to plug websites, the, the Twitter, the. Yeah. The, it's, say, can you say a little more about the book that you mentioned? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Let's do that. Yeah. Yeah, so the book um, uh, uh, is a series of dialogues that was an extension of uh, AMS uh, webinar series that we gave about advocating for students of color in mathematics. And so we had just decided, you know, there was so much momentum. We had hundreds of people coming every time to the four-part series. And so we were like, you know, we've gotten to a place where we've given all these talks. And then you give talks, create momentum, and then it just ends, right? And we're just like, you know what, not this time. Let's create a product out of this. And so um, we decided, you know, quickly to, you know, get the book together and just answering some of the unanswered questions from the webinar series. And right. So we had the motivation um, in terms of answering their questions. And yeah, we got it together. And so it was an honor. So it really is just a list of our dialogues, uh, you know, a transcription of our dialogues, answering some of the unanswered questions from that webinar series. And so it's gotten some really good reviews and people are using it in their departments. And so it's, it's been fantastic so far. Yeah. yeah, I think that's that's the part that I'm really enjoying, getting the emails from people who have purchased the book. And so maybe I should say the full title. So mm -hmm. it's Asked yeah. and Answered Dialogues on Advocating for Students of Color in Mathematics. And the thing that I hear from folks who've purchased the book, so thank you all so much for the support, is that they didn't expect that there is part of a workbook yes. involved in the book. So it yeah. isn't just Eris and I going back and forth telling you things. I mean, a lot of that there, there is. <laughs> that is part of the content. But there's also a piece about doing some pre-reflection before we start hearing some of the dialogue that we have. And then also the post part of it. So how are you going to change and how are you going to be a better advocate for students of color in mathematics? And so it leaves the reader with really a, a set of tools to come back to time and time again. That's really what I see as a benefit yeah. of the book. And people are purchasing it as a department to mm -hmm. actually hold some kind of book club and really think <laughs> about what of the things that we suggest that professors implement in their department, in their classrooms, in their institutions, what they can actually do. And so it's been, the, the reception has been really wonderful. And I'm just super thankful that people purchased the book and we're supporting our, our future work. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, can you also mention, uh, is it minoritymath.org, the website where that hosts Mathematically Uncensored? That's correct. That's correct. So yeah, that's, that's the home of the podcast. And that's a place where, um, yeah, we're trying to create voices for underrepresented minorities in the mathematical sciences. And so you can go there just not just for the podcast, but for other content as well that centers around that experience. Mm -hmm. Okay. Fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah. 
I had you. a blast. This was a really good time. Yeah, yeah over lunch fun. today, I'm going to be writing down uh, numbers and writing them in terms of Fibonacci. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. It's pretty fantastic. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. Thanks. Thank you. Bye, everyone. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to My Favorite Theorem, hosted by Kevin Knudsen and Evelyn Lee. The music you're hearing is a piece called Fractalia, a percussion quartet performed by four high school students from Gainesville, Florida. They are Blake Crawford, Gus Knudsen, Del Mitchell, and Bao Chan Nguyen. You can find more information about the mathematicians and theorems featured in this podcast, along with other delightful mathematical treats, at Kevin's website, kpknudsen.com, and Evelyn's blog, Roots of Unity, on the Scientific American Blog Network. We love to hear from our listeners, so please drop us a line at myfavoritetheorem at gmail.com, or you can find us on Facebook and Twitter. Kevin's handle on Twitter is at NivikNazdunk, that's Kevin spelled backwards followed by Knudsen spelled backwards, and Evelyn's is at Evelyn J. Lamb. The show itself also has a Twitter feed. The handle is M-Y-F-A-V-E-T-H-M. That's at my favorite theorem. Join us next time to learn another fascinating piece of mathematics.